Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. The border is the top story in America. We only talk about it all the time. Everything we did last week with Border Week, presented by Americans for Prosperity, talking about the, the issues with uh, the wall, what people don't understand about it, the, the factors that, that pull people to the United States, the policy failures in multiple areas, and, and most importantly, that you can't get Congress to come together on this. You can't get people to come to the table, that there's far more of an interest when it comes to the border in having the problem than in solving the problem. But the problem is, we're the ones dealing with it. We deal with the fentanyl. We deal with the the economic disaster. And now what we're seeing over these last weeks in places we don't normally see them, like Lukeville, Arizona, and places throughout where it's much harder to get to, we are seeing massive surges. So much so that rail service to these ports of entry have now been stopped. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. Griff Jenkins joins us from foxnews.com, who's been covering the border before anybody even thought it was cool to do. He's in D.C. right now where he's been uh, gathering the information and speaking to his sources uh, on the ground. I do want to get into this Lukeville situation because it's just, it's not a name you hear about. It's not a place you talk about when it comes to the border. But lately, we're talking about the past 72, 96 hours. This has been a surreal amount of people. What is it that Border Patrol is experiencing? So, Tony, uh, thanks for having me because it is so important to be talking right now. I have been covering along with my colleague Bill Malusian for years now, uh, and certainly in the last two-plus years of this, what Border Patrol agents tell me is an unmitigated disaster on the border. But, but today... When you see on Fox the shots from Eagle Pass, Texas, where they have, and I was just there for 10 days, just came back to Washington, hopefully get the lawmakers in this town to pay a little bit of attention, you've got a situation where they have never experienced this in a single day ever. This administration, Tony, and I'm not one given for hyperbole, but this administration is allowing the Border Patrol to be pushed to a breaking point, the likes of which they've never seen. In Eagle Pass, under that bridge, all those migrants, they told me this morning they've got 4,500-plus that are being processed and transported to a facility called Firefly, intended to house just under 2,000. They've already got 5,300 in custody there. The number of Border Patrol agents, on the ground there, dealing with that, on this shift this morning, is 20. You got 10,000 migrants that are having to be dealt with by 20 agents. That's 200 to 1 and worse. The capacity in that facility is 260% over, which means they can't go into the giant temporary tents they built. They're stuck in the overflow yard at the facility where they're trying to deal with them, to transport them, process them, and ultimately send them somewhere else, most of which will be released into the U.S. with a notice to appear with a court date years from now, and that's going to be increasingly accelerated in, in the next coming days because it's not just an Eagle Pass where I was. You mentioned Lukeville. In Lukeville, they're getting hammered. In the last 24 hours across the entire southwest border, 
I reported this this morning. There was more than 12,600 migrant encounters, the highest number ever hit. The previous one set last week was 12,300. They've now topped that by 300 more. In Lukeville, Arizona, which is part of the Tucson sector, last 24 hours, more than 3,000 there. And most of those aren't from countries like Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, where we typically have been dealing with them. They're from Africa. These are people that take an enormously larger amount of effort to process because they're coming from so far away when they're from places like Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, Iran, Russia. They're special interest migrants, which means they get a secondary uh, uh, probe to see if they're a match to the terror screening database, and they have to be detained, but there's no place to hold them. So they're literally just being held in, in, in a field where you're seeing it. This, this is a breaking point that is far beyond sustainable, and it's only getting worse with more and more coming. Why is that? Well, the reason is because the transnational criminal organizations or cartels realize how much of a breaking point this is, and they're exploiting our vulnerabilities, all because this administration's policies that have brought this on us. And so today is unlike any other day. We've seen it day after day become a crisis, but today is, is the worst of all the days. So imagine you had a two and a half year bad situation. Well, it's the worse today than it was ever. Eagle Pass, Texas, Lukeville, Arizona, you pointed out exactly correctly, Tony. These are tiny little areas that didn't see this. In December of 2022, last year, there was barely 600, 700 tops migrant encounters in either of those places. Now you're looking at a daily average of 3,000 plus on the Eagle Pass right now. And this, you got upwards of 5,000 that just crossed. And this, Griff, is exactly the question, talking to Griff Jenkins uh, of Fox News. Someone saw this. These people aren't crossing in these areas by accident. It, 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 it seems obvious to those of us who, who are not as connected as you are even, uh, that people are crossing specifically because these areas are easier places to cross or have more opportunity to get people into the country. So the question is, who's informing these people to cross in these spots? Without a doubt, this is as organized, as uh, uh, assembly line driven with Amazon efficiency, I would tell you, by the cartels, by the TCOs. And I will say, because I, I do have so many contacts in Mexico, I, I feel it's important to point out it's not true that Mexico is just looking the other way. They have tried, but their INM, which is Mexico's version of the Border Patrol, they're out of money. They literally ran out of money because the crisis has so broken them. They're done. There's very little they can even do if they wanted to. Now, there is some fair criticism that there's a lack of will in, in, in knocking it down in Mexico, but it's not entirely a lack of will. But what's happened now, because the crisis has gone on for so long, they're out of resources altogether, so they can't help us even if they wanted to. And so that's allowed on the Mexican side for the migrants 
to be completely organized and controlled by cartels because they're at their at their whim. And most of them have traveled for months and have been robbed or they're out of money, they're poor. They're completely at the disposal of the cartels. So of course they're going to go exactly where they should go. But here's the problem. And it's what my friend and Mexican independent journalist Alden Cabello calls it the selfie factor. At the end of the day, for the crisis we're talking about, draining so many resources, all of these migrants, most of them you saw in, in, in these drone photos, as soon as they crossed into the U.S., they took a selfie, sent it back to family and friends who were thinking about making that trip, put it on Facebook. The message sent to those behind them that will soon be coming, it said, come on, I made it. I got across the finish line. You can too. It's like me running a marathon knowing you want to run the marathon, Tony, and you knew I wasn't in great shape, but I finished it, and I'm standing there with my medal smiling ear to ear saying, I did it. You can too, Tony. Come on. Talking to Griff Jenkins from Fox News Channel, uh, co-anchor of Fox News Live there on, on weekends. We keep hearing from the administration that uh, the border is not in crisis and they're fixing a broken system. Um, you uh, writing about this, talking about how migrant encounters is just a few days ago, top $10,000, $10,000, 10,000 people in, in a, a single day. This is all happening right now as the prologue to the Republicans in the House. Talk about your work there uh, in, in D.C. and in the Senate saying we're not going to engage any Ukraine funding until there's border funding. You have James Lankford of Oklahoma, uh, the senator leading part uh, of, of that charge. Is there resolve amongst Chuck Schumer and the Democrats to accept the idea that money is going to have to flow to the border because this situation is seen by the American people and polling and other things as wholly untenable. Yeah, I look, there is, I think it's fair to say, Tony, there is undoubtedly now a recognition on Capitol Hill from Chuck Schumer in the Senate to Democrats all across the House that are recognizing, you know what? To heck with how this affects the, the, the president and my fellow Democrat incumbent in his polls. I'm not going to get reelected if I do nothing. And it's clear that the only thing that is going to offset the inaction of the federal government is going to be some congressional resolve. And, you know, I think that once Republicans were willing to die on the hill of Ukraine funding for something to be done, you're, look, you're starting to see the contours of an actual Senate bill, which, you know, uh, of course does the funding. And look, even with a priority on mass releases, you still need more agents because I just gave you the 200 to 120 agents dealing it's with frightening 5, number, man. migrants. But, but, but here's, the, here's the rub, and this is the point. Even if the contours of a Senate bill are starting to come with a higher level uh, threshold for credible fear factor for asylum, all the way uh, to, to, to mass deportations and, and all of that, and, and faster asylum hearings, you're still dealing with the House Republicans who passed 
this HR2, which is way farther than the Senate will. So ultimately, you're going to have this, well, we tried and we couldn't get there, which has been the history of any kind of immigration reform in Washington for the last two decades. And so I have little faith that they're going to get anything done, even if they passed a Senate bill, that it can pass the House right now. And that's just unfortunate for the country. It's facing a national security threat, not my words. That's what basically every Border Patrol official has told me for the last year and a half. But it's also uh, uh, dreadful news for those men and women in green of the Border Patrol from Texas through Arizona to California that are just exhausted and overwhelmed dealing with this crisis, knowing there's real no sign of things changing anytime soon. Before I let you go, really quick, you talk about possibly not seeing movement in, in, in the House. You've got Representative Henry Cuellar, Democrat from Texas, who's been very clear that we need more work done on the border. You have people talking about the border in terms of the, the citizenry. There's no pressure on those uh, Democrat members of the House to try and, and, and make a move here? No pressure coming from the people when you see this, your reporting, this kind of reporting? 200 to no, one? I think, I think you're right. I, I think there's I think there's great pressure, and it's even growing on Democrats like Henry Cuellar, who's tried to walk the fine line and has called uh, for for more to be done. But 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 at the end of the day, you have to recognize there is a progressive Hispanic caucus in, in Congress that sees what's happening on our border and says, this is fantastic. Let them all in, let more in, and let's change the laws so that they can just quickly get to uh, a, a legal pathway through some new means we'll create. And that's what we need to do because the system was broken under Trump. And hey, if you are a migrant that spent you know, years and thousands of dollars to do it the legal way. I mean, that was then, this is now, you should have just waited and crossed illegally and do the fast track version. That's what they, that's what they want. And Democrats are stuck between, wait a minute, which option on the menu does, does my constituents want? And I think, you know, sadly, the, the dirty truth is we're not going to know the answer to that until after November elections next year. Griff Jenkins, Fox News, Fox News Live. Catch him there every weekend. His work, of course, in D.C. and on the border. Griff, an absolute pleasure as always. Stay safe and, and Merry Christmas to you. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Merry Christmas. Now I want to zoom out and talk a little bit about the last three years, because I think it bears repeating that when President Biden took office about three years ago, the biggest concern at the time around the nation's airlines was whether they would be able to stay in business. And at the time, we were thinking about how many years or decades it would take for the U.S. aviation sector to recover. Instead, what happened was that the entire economy, including the aviation sector, recovered swiftly during the Biden economic recovery, which, of course, included demand coming back faster than most forecasters had thought possible. Did 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 he just say the Biden economic recovery? Is this is this a new bit of terminology? We're now calling it the Biden economic recovery. What's the matter? Bidenomics wasn't wasn't doing the job. They weren't, you weren't selling that, so now it's the Biden economic recovery? Oh, holy hell.
Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. By the way, here's here's the Biden economic recovery. Target blamed theft and violence for nine store closures. Crime is higher at locations it kept open nearby. Now, that would tell you that, look, they blamed the, the, the these closures over here, but the crime is worse over here. And it's like, ah, you see, Target's not telling the truth. The crime is higher in the places than they closed? So we're admitting that crime has grown in the Biden economic recovery. There's more theft in the Biden economic recovery. And of course, there are businesses that have suffered because of the Biden economic recovery because it's coupled with the Biden don't give a damn about crime. What kind of madness is this from Pete Buttigieg? Is this now the Svengali move to get everybody to say, oh yeah, that's absolutely right. Joe Biden's the way to go for the economic future. Isn't that right, CNBC? Those who are optimistic now and for the future, just 15% now and for the year. Now, by the way, this is up a little bit on the quarter, but this is the year for the average. 66% being pessimistic now and for the future is a record high in the 17 years we've been doing this. So we've never found people more depressed. 66%. According to the All America Economic Survey from CNBC, pessimistic about the economy. While I have Pete Buttigieg, the smarmiest dude, I should say one of. I mean, how do you judge talking about the Biden economic recovery? There is no economic recovery. Now, this all does play into a story about how CNBC found that retail sales were good. Retail sales for the holidays were good. And they found that for for a a group of people, spending was way up. And overall, spending was up. I've been staring at this. I have been staring at this and wondering how this was going to play out. And and, and hearing about these good numbers, I'm like, "I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss, kitten. Where is it coming from? And I asked the question, well, does this mean that it's people who... Had to spend more because, oh, see the cold? Did you feel that? Did you hear that? That's my my voice right there. I'm almost out. I'm almost out. Were they spending more because of inflationary pressures? Were they spending more because, well, they, they had to to get the good? Or were they actually saying they had more free cash, they had more expendable income, they could buy more things? Which might be true for some but isn't true for most. In, in, in any cycle, there are people who do well. Uh, there are people who in the Great Depression made money. In, in any cycle, it's possible to do well. But that doesn't mean that people are doing well. And so it, it becomes this, this, this really weird kind of philosophy that if you want to be the, the, the Pete Buttigieg and the Joe Biden and talk about how everything is getting better, You have to do so at the expense of the people who clearly are not doing better in this economy. You have to forget about them to try and tell a story that other people will somehow buy into and think as valuable and motivate them to a future. I don't think that's going to work for Joe Biden. No, I think for Joe Biden, much of the writing is on the wall from his own party. You'll hear me talk about it in the days ahead. This is Tony Katz today.
Leap District has brought with it controversy. This is that whole area. They're in Lebanon, Whitestown, and Eli Lilly's going to have a place, and business is coming. And Well, what was actually done in the... In, what's the word? The organization of this thing and, and, and what people were were informed and were the residents of Lebanon and Whitestown, those other areas, informed that this land was going to be purchased up and, and then things were going to be annexed. And then what is this whole thing about the water? And they're going to pump the water in from, from Tippecanoe County? Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Uh, this whole thing about LEAP. I mean, this started from people emailing me. When we start discussing LEAP, we got emails. I got emails from people. They took this land. No one ever discussed it with the people of Lebanon. No one ever discussed it with the people of Whitestown or anywhere else. They just took the land. And then you hear about the water at the at the expense, if you will. And then they're going to take water out of tip of canoe. Out of the, out of the, out of the, the Wabash, they're going to they're gonna pipe it in. And then you get the, the governor saying, we're going to have the Indiana Finance Authority take a look at this. And it seems like they're providing cover for moving the water for these businesses, taking it away from citizens. A group called Citizens Action Coalition thinks the moving of the water is dangerous. And the mayor of Lebanon comes out, Matt Gentry, to say, as reported by Wish TV, that their report is disingenuous. The mayor joins us right now. Matt Gentry joins us. The mayor of Lebanon, Indiana. It's it's good to have you here with us. Uh, I know that you had reached out to say, hey, I want to talk about this. Happy to have you on the show. Let, let's start with a, a, a baseline. When did the LEAP District, L-E-A-P, when did the LEAP District start coming up in conversation, and how do you describe to your citizenry its purpose? Yeah, thanks, Johnny. Thanks for having me on. Um, well, and first to start off, too, the, I would clarify, too, the land wasn't taken. You know, the, the people that owned the property were agreed to a sales price. So the IDC doesn't have any domain authority, so there, the land wasn't taken. So let's, let's kind of make sure we're clear here. Um, you know, I would say this all started back um, fall of 2021. Um, you know, we started hearing ru- rumors about, you know, someone was buying all this land. Um, you know, we didn't know what's happening. Um, and then finally, you know, I actually was reached out to by the Secretary of Commerce, um, his team, um, kind of in early winter to set up a meeting kind of mid-February. And then we were going to have that meeting. He got ill, so we got rescheduled to March 1st. Um, and then, of course, while this is all happening, you know, we're seeing legislation going through the legislature, Senate Bill 361 at the time, um, that allowed, kind of enabled the IDC to do these innovation development districts. We kind of tied the two together, so kind of figuring out what was happening. But March 1st is when I met with the governor, and they kind of briefed me on what the vision was for LEAP and how do we compete, how does Indiana compete for next generation jobs of the future and economies of the future and provide, you know, opportunities for people today and kids and grandkids tomorrow. So um, March 1st, 2022 is when it started. Um, Eli Lilly announced it'll be coming to Lebanon in, in May of 2022. Um, they broke ground here in April of 2023. Um, you know, and there's there's still additional leads coming in all the time. So um, this has certainly not been a uh, this has been a fairly, I mean, from a scale of this, it's certainly been a, a quick process. Uh, but it's certainly not been something that's kind of happened uh, overnight. There's been lots of discussions, lots of meetings. Um, when this all started, you know, the area wasn't in the city of Lebanon, so it had to be annexed in. It was 100% voluntary annexation requested by the property owners as part of this. So, um, really, I think this has been actually done in a, a, a very transparent way. But uh, as, as you just stated, sir, I want to make sure 
I'm, I'm following. The state came to you. It wasn't. This was not a a conversation that built out of, out of Lebanon and the area that say, "Hey, we think we have an opportunity here." The state acquired land, and the or, or the state wanted to acquire land, and then came to you yep. about annexation. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I mean, for a long time, right? Lebanon, we've just where we're positioned, right? Right on I-65, halfway between Lafayette and Annapolis, right? You know, when I first ran for mayor years ago. How do we leverage this? How do we plan for our future? We know growth is going to come our way, right? Um, but we never would have imagined this type of, you know, research triangle type development coming to Lebanon. That was not something we really even could have done locally. So yeah, this, I mean, the state came to us and said, "Hey, this is our this is our idea to how does how do we make sure Indiana compete for the next twenty to fifty years um, in, in 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 specific industries of the future?" And so that was they were the kind of the ones that you know assembled all the land and. Uh, partly because of Boone County was so restrictive on how, um, you know, people could use their land that it actually made it easy to get, you know, 8,000, 9,000 some acres with a relatively few uh, number of property owners. I mean, this is in Hamilton County, you know, you'd have probably 4,000 property owners in, in this area. So um, that's, it's kind of Boone County's own fault a little bit because we were so restrictive on, on, on growth here in Boone County. Talking to Matt Gentry, the mayor of Lebanon, uh, Indiana, uh, it, it's it's it seems from from the conversation that while you were not opposed to any of this, uh, you were told this. The state said, "Here's what we are doing." Did they need you to engage the annexation, or could they have moved forward to this on their own? And was there anybody within Lebanon, your your office or others, who said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, hold up! What about X? What about Y? What about Z?" I mean, no, they needed they needed the city of Lebanon to act here, right? Because um, one, you know, my I have a policy that we don't extend city utilities outside city limits, right? And so obviously, if we want to attract large companies like this, they're going to need water, wastewater, right? Um, so you know, certainly there was something that I had initially had a lot of questions about, um, you know, and the annexations didn't really start until the summer of 2022, anyway, because for a while. We were working with the county to have them try to, you know, how to, you know, is it best under their jurisdiction? Is it best under ours? Do, you know, do we craft a, a plan new development for this? Do all these things? Um, so it really was kind of a long process there, um, and it was certainly not a, a something that happened quickly. But it, it was, you know, you know, when I look at it from my standpoint of 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 what's in, you know, what's in the best interest of my citizens of the city of Lebanon and the people that live there, um, you know, bringing this type of investment. I mean, when you bring in, you know billions of dollars of investment, that's going to have a dramatic impact on, on people's property taxes. I mean, we're actually in the position to potentially do um, property tax rebates for people once, once Lily is paying property taxes because, you know, frankly, we won't be able to spend all the money that's generated from, from LEAP. So um, we're putting that right back into people's pockets. So certainly from a Lebanon citizen perspective, um, th- there are huge benefits with LEAP. I understand the, the concerns that other people have that live in the rural parts of, of outside of Lebanon that aren't you know, annex in the city um, because we're not forcing people to be annexed. They don't want to be. So I understand that if they're opposed to it, and I understand that's changing. Um, but, you know, the, at the end of the day, though, right, do you, we have to believe in property rights. If the property owner chooses to sell, whether that's to the state or some other entity, they have that right to do it. And so then there's a process to go through of how do we, you know, based on what the owner that wants to do with the land, how and do you I'm manage not- that and how do you zone it? 
and I'm not in any way arguing uh, a property rights here, talking to Matt Gentry, the mayor of Lebanon, Indiana. I'm saying based on how you describe it, uh, this was brought to you and said, hey, you need to annex this property as opposed to, hey, we have this idea. What do you think? It's certainly from the conversation seems much more of a forced upon you uh, subject. Well, but I want to get into this part two, which is about the water. And the water that is necessary for some of these companies to be able to run their 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 business. You speak to you talk about the IEDC, Brad Chambers, who's now a candidate uh, for governor, who's on record saying that we have a lot of water in Indiana. Um, you have uh, the governor's office, Governor Holcomb's office, now saying that the finance authority needs to do a study on this, which for a lot of people seems to be a backward step. You already agreed to move the water, and now you're looking for a way to engage why you need to move the water. But there was a group. Citizens Action Coalition, Wish TV had the reporting. Uh, their report says the, the Leap District puts Hoosiers' access to water at risk. You say the opposite is true. Here is the quote mm-hmm. attributed to you. Quote, it's far more likely that rates will not increase because of LEAP. The state is trying to use economic development to solve a much larger central Indiana water problem. What is the larger central Indiana water problem? Yeah, so really since... Even the early 2000s, but especially since 2020, 2014, since the Indiana Chamber did a water study, um, essentially it says that Indiana, Indianapolis area, so the nine, you know, nine donut county areas around Indianapolis, um, we will be out of water sources for growth by 2050. So the, if we don't find some, bring in water from some other region or some other area of the state, central Indiana, by 2050, um, no more growth, no more houses, no more businesses, no more nothing. Um, that's a looming, that's a huge looming problem that we have. Um, and so the concept with LEAP, obviously with Lebanon being halfway between Lafayette and Annapolis, um, you know, back in the early 2000s, the state identified said, hey, there's two major sources that we could bring water in the Annapolis area, um, either the Lafayette area with the Wabash River or Brookville over on the Ohio River. And those are kind of the two options because that's where you could get enough water to do this. So the concept this, the, that the state is using, the IEDC, um, Having these investments from these large companies, you know, some of these, you know, the semiconductor facility would be a ten, I mean, fifty billion dollar investment. Um, and what's different of what I think what the CAC missed is that because of the legislation the IDC has to create these what are called innovation development districts, they can capture the property taxes generated by that facility and use that for infrastructure. So that could fund the construction of a fairly expensive pipeline to go to Lafayette and bring that to Lebanon, and then we're essentially more, we're almost halfway there because Whitestown. Has citizen has gets water from Citizens Energy, so you know they're not far away from us at all. So we're we're pretty close to connecting the connecting the path there. Um, and so once you get into Citizen System, then you can serve all of Indianapolis with that. So obviously it's more but I, I, that, but, but the high level. The the th- that's the high level. Here's here's a, a different way to to look at it, sir. The people of Tippecanoe County. May they may want to engage growth, and what the state is saying is that this growth is more important than somebody else's growth, than your growth, Tippecanoe, than your growth, Lafayette, than your growth uh, over over there. How do you respond to that? Well, I, I don't think that's true. One, because also, I mean, the, the first thing this there's not the pipeline is not guaranteed, right? And I think that's being missed in a lot of this. The people are assuming this is a done deal, and that's absolutely not the case. One. They have to prove the water is there, right? So they're 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 doing tests now to, to determine what is what water is available, right? And what is the amount that could that could be moved if we needed it to. Um, and then two, you need a user to justify that cost, right? So you can't just move the I mean, because again, 
we don't have the economic development paying for the pipeline, that's where it's going to be burdening ratepayers. That's when it's going to be impacting people. Because again, we're and that's going to that's going to happen before 2050 at some point because it has to be done somehow. So you know, leap again is our best option to avoid that type of rate increase for for citizens because then that's where the economic development is paying for the pipeline. So I, I, again, they are doing all of what they need to be doing from a testing standpoint. You know, they're they've, they've finished kind of half the testing. They're finishing the second testing, I believe, around this time as well too. Um, the report should be out early 2024, and then there's kind of a larger conference r- report for the whole region, fall of 2024 coming. So this is not happening tonight, tomorrow. It's it's not it's not it's a it, they are still going through the process. They're doing the science, and they will be able to calculate of, of what makes sense. So um, I don't think once they do all the do all the testing and and, and go through that process, um, Lafayette will have what they need as well because I mean the early results are showing that there is a prolific amount of water in that area. My thanks to Mayor Matt Gentry of Lebanon for joining the show. Look, I'm I'm here to tell you that there are clearly people who feel that their their thoughts were completely dismissed, that 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 nothing was given to them. And it is obvious, uh, you know, fr- from this conversation, the the water conversation is interesting. You move the water to where you need it for for the growth as opposed to saying, well, you can't move it. I'm not opposed to the moving. I'm only asking a question of how it was done and how it affects uh, other other future growth. Are you hurting one to help the other, right? Hurting one area to help the other. But it seems very obvious to me that the whole land conversation of LEAP, this LEAP district, this was, this was the state of Indiana saying, hey, we're doing this. Um, you need to do this thing for us. You know, it's a little technical thing, but you have to get it done. I mean, I look, you, you can go back and listen to the interview, and you should. I think that is the way he just, uh, the, the, the mayor, Matt Gentry, just explained it. And I do, I appreciate him coming on. I appreciate him calling in and saying, hey, you were talking about this. I, I, I have comment to it. I think that's great. Uh, politicos don't reach out a, a, enough. Too many people way too afraid to have the conversation. But I don't think I'm reading that wrong. It seems obvious to me that what has happened here is that he got a call and said, hey, we're doing this thing. You need to do X, Y, and Z. Now, the question is, should he have done X, Y, and Z? That's that's the only question. And and I'm going to say, just make sure I'm on the record and I... I'm already on the record, but it doesn't, doesn't matter. I think these kinds of um, setups are valuable. I do. I do think they're helpful. I do think they're good. I do think they create long-term opportunity. I'm not in favor of anything that starts with, well, don't worry about those little Hoosiers. Don't worry about those little people. We're going to have to do this big planning, and they'll just have to figure it out. You got to sell people on ideas. I like big ideas. And some of them seem a little nutty. And sometimes you got to push. But you can't say, you know what? Pat on the head, pat on the head. We're just going to do this. You'll thank us later. That I have real issue with. This is Tony Katz today.
You've got the far left that they're absolutely for open borders. They, they don't want to see any limitations at all in this. But you've got a significant number of Democrats that are also coming on board. As you see in all the national polls now, uh, the number one issue in the country is the economy. The number two issue in the country is illegal immigration. That's across Republicans and Democrats alike, where they see this as a major issue that has to be resolved. So there are more and more Democrats that are coming on board saying, I may not like the solutions, but we've got to actually do something to be able to solve this. We're trying to pull that group of Democrats in to say, come on, let's actually solve this issue on this and to be able to protect the nation. That is Senator James Lankford, who is helping with the negotiation on both border funding and Ukraine funding. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, uh, I think he has it wrong. The economy is not the number one issue in the country. I'm not going to disagree that people don't pay attention to their pocketbook, but I think that if, if you really dig deeper to to what actually creates issue for us it's the border and that's that for me that's saying something but i i I haven't even with everything with with the economy even with everything with with israel and the terrorists hamas who need to be destroyed even with everything china everything ukraine russia i haven't i haven't moved i have not moved my center that the border is 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 everything because i think the border is a so much a a creator of all the other all the other issues. Now, I'm not saying that the border is the reason for inflation, but if you want to understand costs and spending and, and out-of-control spending and effects on local economies and effects on, on local budgets, th- th- this is it. The border is it, and that's why I say so. It's the story. And negotiations for how much funding there's going to be, I don't care about Ukraine until I care about the border. And, I, and I'm a guy who's okay with providing bullets and... and and, and tanks to Ukraine. The border comes first. The biggest story in America. I'm glad people are starting to come around to where we are, guys. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care.